The Ringer Gambling Show is here to help you place your bets on the biggest sports around the world. Join NFL analyst Warren Sharp on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. Each week, they'll cover everything from spreads, game totals, and parlays to player props, futures, post-game reactions, and more. Check out The Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by USAA Homeowners Insurance. USAA has homeowners insurance that could lead the league in assists. Serving our military veterans and their eligible family members, USAA delivers award-winning service and peace of mind. And if you file a claim, the process is transparent and easy, and you can do it all right in the USAA app. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to The Void. It's Wednesday. We are one day from the NBA trade deadline. And to talk about what could happen or should happen, we're bringing on Jake Fisher, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. Jake, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. How how are you? I mean, I haven't seen you on Zoom. I haven't seen your face in like a long, long time. Good to see you, man. Yeah, we, we crossed paths like very briefly at Summer League last year. But before that, I mean, this was like even years before the pandemic started, that thing that we last saw each other in person. It's been a long time. I think we got dinner like very early into your tenure at the Ringer. I me- I remember in New York. Where did we go? Where did we go for dinner? So, somewhere in Fidei. I lived down. There, we I were in the I seaport. Yeah. Oh, did we get sushi? But my my memory is mush, man. When it comes to certain things, like it's just it's like it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, all that other being things, said, it's like I could be there. It's 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 <laughs> weird. I mean, I I wonder how we'll look back at this whole week here with all the ups and downs with James Harden and Ben Simmons. Like even this morning, Wednesday morning. So I wake up. I'm on the West Coast here, and I see a report. ESPN's Brian Windhorst says Harden is screaming in every way possible that he wants out of Brooklyn. He says Nets and Sixers are in the deal zone, the deal zone, which is the term that I really love and I'm going to adopt. And then he says, I know there's people saying things on the record, trying to act like that's not happening, but it is absolutely happening. There's definite motivation for both sides to make this fall into place. And he said yesterday on Tuesday, the Sixers were having trade talks with other teams about other pieces that could be part of a bigger deal, including Tobias Harris. But hours later, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski said there's no negotiation between the Sixers and the Nets. And he did acknowledge, though, that things are fluid between those two teams. What are you hearing, Jake? Because this is totally different from what we're getting from ESPN. Yeah. You know, my my writing as of Monday morning, um, and, and I haven't been as in contact since that story came out. But what I have heard from both Brooklyn side and Philly side since that Monday story came out, and the Monday story was more aligned with uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's reporting than, than Brian's. Um, and I 
I want to be careful and not to say that someone is wrong and all that, but well, from what I can say confidently from from my end and from my information, I have not heard that the Sixers and the Nets have actual have had actual tangible negotiations here. I think, yes, I mean, my, my story, whatever it was, two Tuesdays ago now about James talking and communicating and making it very clear that He's got interest in playing elsewhere and specifically in Philadelphia. That's, I think, absolutely an accurate data point. Obviously, I wrote that. I, I, I stand behind that reporting, and that seems to clearly have been, you know, perpetuated by all the, the instances that have occurred since. I mean, him being out with his hamstring tightness, Brooklyn people are definitely saying that it's it's legitimate and that there is tightness there that's similar to what plagued him in the playoffs last year and they're resting him now to try to avoid that type of situation when the games really are on the line. They might not be able to have him available because when the games are on the line, that's what everyone in Brooklyn is there to do. They're there to win a championship. That's why the Nets sent Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and all the picks to Houston to get James Harden in the first place. And those guys are, you know, obviously reunited in a pretty strong Eastern Conference contender right now. Like, the Nets are all in to win the title, and they obviously, of course, believe that best chance to do that is with James Harden. I, I, from my understanding, Kevin Durant still feels that way as well. I just think, um, you know, if it doesn't work out, if the if they're not the team lifting that Larry O'Brien Trophy at the end of all this, it does seem more likely than not that James Harden will become a free agent or he'll opt into his contract, but tell Brooklyn he'd like to be traded elsewhere, like Chris Paul did back a couple years ago with the Clippers to have him join James Harden in, in Houston with Daryl Morey. Um, but at this point in time, I, I think the ne- quote-unquote negotiations that have been mentioned right now, like, yeah, if you call people from Philly and if you call people from Brooklyn, they'll tell you what they theoretically would want in that type of framework. But that doesn't mean those conversations are happening. Like, if I say that you know a sixer source tells me they don't want to put Tyrese Maxey into a deal like that's an accurate thing someone has told me that from Philadelphia 100% but that deal hasn't been negotiated right now well, you know what i'm saying like that's what they're telling us that doesn't mean that they're actually having that conversation with the nets is it strange that they haven't at least according to you know at least with what we're hearing here i mean is this the type of thing where they're just waiting until the final day and until then it's like really some public negotiations leaking um like what what is the reason for waiting um if that is indeed the case this is not you know sourced but my educated guess is i think philly's trying to bait and go brooklyn into calling them that's what i think they want to happen because they feel like i mean Every trade is a is a ultimate battle of, of leverage and negotiation, right? And I think, you know, go to the Karis Levert deal with Indiana. From from what I've been told, like that deal was pretty close the night before. And then Dallas and New York got involved at the end and that helped push things over the finish line. Same thing with CJ McCollum in New Orleans. The night before that deal went th- went through, there was all this talk that it was close, it was close, it was close. And then you know, we heard we'd heard the Knicks over the weekend. Mark Stein was first to report that on Monday, and then Atlanta really popped up Monday afternoon. And I wrote them on Tuesday morning, and sure enough, after the Knicks and and, and the Hawks got involved, CJ McCollum goes to goes to uh, to New Orleans. So I think 
in in this certain situation, objectively speaking, like if I'm, I try to operate as the 31st front office, just trying to collect information and, and assessing what else is happening around the league, right? To me, and I think this has been echoed from people I've talked to, Brooklyn has all the leverage right now, right? They've got James Harden. He's playing. He is entrenched as a legitimate piece on their team right now. Ben Simmons is not. Like, the Sixers are, in, in this present moment, if they were to call Brooklyn, they would not be operating from a position of strength. But the second we get to June and July, if James Harden does tell Brooklyn officials what he has not told them yet, that he wants out, then the leverage, of course, shifts completely. It's like an hourglass where the sand would be, or, or you know, think about it, a glass half empty, glass half full. Like it's li- It literally will switch on a dime the second that happens, and leverage will go all the way to Philly. So I think that, that's my educated guess right now. I think Philly, to answer your question as to why they haven't called, I think they are trying to bait Brooklyn into calling them. And I think in the process, you know, that is obviously creating more and more dysfunction, which would increase the likelihood of James wanting to go elsewhere if they don't win the title this year. And they're also already setting the stage of their negotiations for June now. And that's not necessarily uncommon around the league. The, the, I mean, even the Jeremy Grant conversation, which we'll get into later, um, you know, that could be a situation where he gets held out of a trade talk ultimately in Thursday, but that gets picked back up around the draft. There's a lot of gamesmanship that happens now and even legitimate, you know, salary moves that get made um, with a whole eye towards free agency, not just necessarily on these next couple of months here of the regular season. I think you nailed it there with, I mean, like you said, educated guess. I mean, we don't know for certain here, but ultimately uh, for Philadelphia, Daryl Morey, I've been told over the years, not just recently, like he notoriously sometimes in trade negotiations will wait till the last minute or he will like at the last minute ask for much more in deals. And that's not always the case, but I think with him, we're seeing a similar type of game plan here. Uh, and you mentioned right now, the Nets have all the leverage, which you're right about, but that, that I think that could also shift if Harden indicates, yeah, I'm probably going to leave or I will leave. Like If that were to happen before the deadline, he just outright says he's going to go. That would also flip the leverage now towards Philly, or at the least it would put them on an even playing ground because they would be in similar positions with the, the Philadelphia 76ers having a guy who isn't playing and doesn't want to be there, and the Nets having a guy who is playing, kind of, not playing the hardest, and also doesn't want to be there. That 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 could shift things too, right? For sure. And, you know, the, the Sacramento game that I think I saw you write about him put, putting up, what was it, six points and, and on four shot attempts or something, and, and, and the hamstring tightness, and, you know, after my report came out that Tuesday, they played the Lakers that night, and I didn't even realize that that was going to become what it became because I didn't know, truthfully. I had my head down. I didn't realize that the Lakers were playing the Nets that night on TNT and it was going to become this massive story that it became. Um, but even after that game, you know, when local reporters asked him about my reporting, he didn't like emphatically shut it down, you know, and I think that's just a reflective of where he's at. I don't think he's hugging and kissing everyone in Brooklyn, saying, I love it here, I want to stay. <laughs> I think he's telling them, like, yo, I'm committed, I want to be here, I want to win a championship. Um, I, I don't think it's really... I think he's done enough to showcase that his wandering eye is real, but I don't think this is anything more than that. I think even, you know, we've been talking for however long we've been talking now. Like, I think we probably talked about it too much in regards to the actual likelihood of a deal coming together here on Thursday. 
one last thought on it though, Jake. <laughs> uh, one last one here. Do we have any indication of how far Philly is actually willing to go in terms of players that they would give now? Um, because there's all the talk about Seth Curry being in there, Brooklyn wanting Seth Curry. I've heard Philly wants to give Danny Green, not Matisse Thibel. They want to give Cork Maz, not Curry. Um, like for Brooklyn, is there any indication here of like what Philly would be willing to give at the most now versus waiting until the summer and banking that Brooklyn does flame out, doesn't win the finals, Harden continues to want to go to Philadelphia? Well, it's going to ultimately come down to the mechanism, I think, that Philly tries to acquire him through. So that that CP3 opt-in trade is a very popular framework that gets talked about. Um, and then, we, you know, I wrote about it on Monday in that story. I know Brian's been mentioning it um, in his conversations as well, but the Thunder kind of boogeyman of being able to trade Tobias Harris and a couple of picks to offload him to be able to sign James Harden outright. And that would be a dramatic situation where then all of a sudden Philly can move Ben Simmons for anything because they've gotten the piece that they wanted to to trade James Harden or to trade him for like a James Harden or a Bradley Beal. Um, so that's kind of, I think, more important than what these teams would want because that would set this, that would, again, the leverage aspect of it all is very important. So if it's the opt-in trade, then the Nets would seem to have, you know, a little bit more leverage, right, than if they're just signing James outright and for agency. So um, we, we might not even have these trade conversations come June or July if that's where we're at. But no, I think ultimately the only really things I've heard so far are just that are that I find rooted in fact and, and, and accurate um, is that just the Sixers have shown pretty little – uh, interest in giving up Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Tybel and any Ben Simmons opportunity right now. Um, I, I think they would have for someone like Dame this summer. I think if Dame became available this summer when that whole situation was unfolding, I think they would have put Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Tybel on the board then. But where we're at now with Maxey honestly looking like a future all-star at, at this point, right? He, he seems to have that type of ceiling. Um, I just... I don't think they would. I don't think any front office would be willing to put him into a deal. But then again, you know, we just saw Tyrese Halliburton get moved to the Pacers. So, who's to say how many young guards are are truly untouchable in the league right now, outside of the John Morants of the world? Today's episode of the Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over ninety five live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. We did get a, a minor-ish trade while we were just talking there. The Adrian Wojnarowski reported the Jazz are getting Portland's Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Juancho Hernan Gomez from the Spurs in a three-way deal. Spurs are getting Tomas Sadoransky in a second-round pick. Blazers get Joe Ingles, who obviously is out for the season with a torn ACL, Elijah Hughes, and a second-round pick. Any thoughts on this deal right here, the, the logic behind Utah doing this? They were, of course, you know, reportedly interested in Eric Gordon, now they get Alexander Walker and then Hernan Gomez. If they're only giving up two second round picks, I think that's a, a pretty strong value gamble on a, on a former almost lottery pick. He was the number 17 pick, I believe, in the 2019 draft. And 
he's been a bit flawed in, in New Orleans. Shot selection, I think, has been something that's left a lot of Pelican staffers to be desired, but still pretty young, still pretty talented to only get him for two seconds when the Jazz, I think, one of their biggest issues on this trade market, not just for acquiring better veteran talent now, but also it's it's an issue for their overall you know, foundation. They haven't ha- they don't have a young piece like Nikhil Alexander Walker on their team to go put on a table to go get Jeremy Grant or someone like that. Um, so that would be uh, that's pretty interesting that they're able to just to get him for two seconds and still have their first round pick and Joe Ingles' contract to go out and potentially get an Eric Gordon or an additional they gave up Ingles in that one. They, oh, they, they did give up, up Ingles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they would still have a first-round pick and something to go get somebody if they're able to do that. But um, keeping that first is interesting. Like, I didn't think they were going to be able to get off Ingles' deal and get someone with two seconds. So for a team that is strapped of young pieces and keeping their first-round pick, I like that for Utah. What about you? I like it. I think for them, it gives them a young piece. Hernan Gomez is not bad at all. Um, they could use they could have used another forward as well. I, ultimately, though, this isn't this isn't enough of a change for what they need. This team, as I've been talking about for months now, needs more perimeter defenders. They need to give Rudy Gobert some help. Um, so he's it's just not all on him. And you mentioned Jeremy Grant in there, Jake. Uh, for Utah, is it, does a deal like this help them close that gap? Um, and what does it actually take for Jeremy Grant? What I've been told is that the Pistons want two second round picks for him. Or sorry, two That's first it? round, two first round okay. picks for him. Okay. Sorry, sorry, oh, sorry, I was sorry. about to say, woo wee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so sending out two seconds, you know, wouldn't have been enough in this, you know, package <laughs> here. Um, but they also, you know, I, I think they'd prefer to get a first and a and a young impact player like Patrick Williams from Chicago. I think that's kind of been the high bar that they've set, and Chicago hasn't given any inclination they're willing to do that, but. When that's been a framework that's been out there and and um, it's something that the Pistons clearly have interest in, like they're kind of setting that type of benchmark, it seems like, for a type of return to get Jeremy. And it, it makes sense. I, I was kind of comparing him to the Aaron that's Gordon. Two, two first-round picks for Jeremy Grant? Well, yeah. I mean, look at Aaron Gordon last year. He was the Aaron Gordon. I've been saying Jeremy Grant is the Aaron Gordon in this deadline, and Gordon basically got back a future first and R.J. Hampton, who was just a first first round pick in that draft before. Yeah. 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 So it's basically kind of the going rate now um, for that type of player. It, it, It might sound reductive and simple and cliche to say that these deals set the barometer and kind of the market value, but... I mean, it's real. I mean, the, the Pacers were literally telling teams, I'm sure you heard this too, Kevin, before they moved to Monte Sabonis, they were saying, we want a Nick Vucevic-type package back. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's to say exactly how those packages um, compare? I mean, getting Tyrese Halliburton is obviously a huge win for that Pacers front office, but that's real. Like, the way deals happen that last trade deadline or this summer, like, they impact the value and the overall kind of price on players, and 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 everything is kind of cyclical here. I believe uh, you were the first to report Portland's interests in Jeremy Grant. Uh, and I had heard, you know, after you reported that, like maybe Josh Hart, Eric Bledsoe, that they're trying to flip in a situation like that. And now with this deal that just happened, they have Ingles, another piece that could potentially be flipped as well. Uh, are there any teams in addition to Portland that are actually a threat for Jeremy Grant? I'd be curious about Dallas. They keep coming up as a team that is... I mean, they've been act, they've been active in conversations about Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract. Um, now that he's kind of become 
one of those, you know, Ricky Rubio, Joe Ingles injured guy on on a deal. Although his his deal is long term money, um, so I think that's also uh, a situation here where it's just been around the league. You know, Duncan Robinson, Davis Bertans, um, p- paying shooters and, and specifically shooters, guys who don't really have too much other skill set outside of shooting the ball has been kind of, there's kind of been a referendum on those contracts. I feel like this trade deadline. So, um, you know, the, the Pistons have been linked to have interest in Jalen Brunson in this upcoming off season. So could they get him now in the fact that, you know, the Knicks are obviously circling Brunson with all his CAA and Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose connections. So is there a deal to get done there? Potentially that, that'd be something I'd keep an eye on, but outside of those two teams right now, you know, the Lakers, the Bulls, those are teams that are on the opposite end of the spectrum. The Lakers haven't had enough to get Jeremy Grant, and the Bulls just haven't been willing to put Patrick Williams on the table. Same thing in Minnesota. Like I just don't know if they have enough to go get Jeremy in terms of like Malik Beasley and, and uh, McDaniels in a first-round pick. I don't really know if that gets the Pistons' juices flowing, being that Jeremy's someone who chose them over the Nuggets in free agency you know, a year and a half ago, and they need – to eventually start to sign players like him to try to move this thing towards a playoff uh, conversation. And I think that's a clear goal of the Pistons next year. I think they do want to try to compete for a postseason um, berth in 2023. So keeping Jeremy Grant would obviously be a big help in that regard. I mean, it'll be very interesting with Grant because I think, you know, what we saw earlier in the season is just not going to fly in terms of the way you hope to use Cade Cunningham as a heavy usage playmaking guard moving forward. And, you know, the Pistons fans who want to move off Grant, they just they want to get rid of the ball stopping. Um, and I, I think I understand that. I also understand, like, the perspective of wanting to maximize what you're going to get in return because he's a good player, despite the fact he's not what he was early last season when he's putting up gigantic numbers, elite efficiency and all that. He slipped a little bit, but his his ideal role is playing next to a star. I and mean, like if Cade becomes a star or if he were to get traded to play with Dame or get traded to, you know, wherever it might be, that's the ideal role. Something in the middle of what he was doing in Denver and what he's been doing in Detroit. Like that's the middle ground now for Jeremy Grant. And if that's your third or fourth best player, like that's that's like an amazing third or fourth best player to have on your team if you're actually contending. For sure. I, I just think, you know, Jeremy's been pretty clear that he wants to be a one B you know, second option type guy. Like I think he even even now, even now. Yes, I think he. I think he's very open to the idea of being like a, a Batman, or sorry, a Robin to Dame's Batman, or playing next to Luca. That type of situation. I think he would love to be a number two next to one of those guys. But you know, even a situation like Memphis, where I mean, that would seem to make so much sense, right? I'm kind of a missing fifth man for their closing lineup. I don't think he wants to be behind Ja and Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain in terms of like three untouchable young core pieces of that group that he's coming in to kind of be like the David West of those Paul George Pacers back in the day. Like I don't think he wants <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. that piece. I think he wants to be a piece that a team is thinking he's coming in and being a major, major difference maker, not just like that last X factor, if you will. That, that, that's, that's a key distinction. He wants to be on the marquee. So the the circumstances are different, but with Jeremy Grant, there might not be, despite his talent, a lot of teams that want him for the reasons we're talking about. I'm not finding a lot of teams for Eric Gordon. We heard about the Cavs. Well, they got Karis LeVert. We heard about the Pelicans. Well, they got CJ McCollum. 
We've heard about the Jazz, and I don't know if this deal today has anything to do with that, but getting Alexander Walker a wing, Hernan Gomez a forward. Who does that leave here in terms of interest? It was reported the Suns at one point had interest. Are there any other teams that we know about that would want Eric Gordon? The Rockets have been steadfast in their first-round pick asking price for him. So all those teams you mentioned were the teams that really were willing to put that pick on the table, right? The Cavs, the Pelicans, and I I don't know if the Suns are willing to do that. I I mean, they clearly have interest in moving Dario Saric's contract to go and get something else. They have their picks available. They have, you know, future assets they can trade. But I haven't heard of any constant framework that actually has the Suns sending out a first-round pick to get better right now. I don't think they feel like they probably need to. I mean, they are far and away have been kind of the, the, the league's best team dating back to last season, right? They've kind of been wire to wire from the moment they traded Chris Paul to right now. They've been as, as, as top a dog as anybody. I don't know if trading a first-round pick for Eric Gordon is really the, the best value for them to do that. Um, I, I am skeptical the Rockets are going to get that price for him. I, I was believing them about a week and a half ago when all these teams were seeming to be out there wanting to go – pay for wing help and 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 clearly did pay um but now that all these teams are off the board i i don't know if, if that's going to be um a likely scenario for the rocket they might have to lower their price the one team i am kind of obsessed with as a destination for eric gordon is the lakers um whether it's like some crazy wall and west uh, wall and gordon for westbrook tht in the 2027 first from the lakers or whether it's like part of some iteration and like a four-way five-way deal whatever it might be i i just feel like it makes too much sense for a team like the lakers to target eric gordon you think about their closing lineups They've been benching Russell Westbrook on some occasions, including on Tuesday night. After the game, he comes out and says, I've earned the ability to close games, this and that. Like, no. Some nights, yes. But a lot of nights, no. Eric Gordon provides exactly what the Lakers need. A guy who can shoot threes, who can attack closeouts, who can make the right pass, who plays hard on defense. And in certain moments, like some, like Eric Gordon has been a lockdown defender. At times this season, like he is like, like if you're talking about trying out, saying, hey, contending teams trade for me, trade for me. He's done the job. So, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with that idea and I haven't heard a peep in terms of real interest, you know, from, from a part of the Lakers. And I've also just heard the opposite, that they don't want to give up their 2027 first. Um, but for them, like, how how can you waste a season of LeBron James and Anthony Davis? You can't let the season go to waste. I just think they have to do something. If Russ isn't going to change, which clearly he never will, he can, but he never will, then the Lakers have to make the change themselves. Is, is there any idea of what the Lakers are going to be doing here? I think the only Lakers moves can be on the margins. And, you know, Josh Richardson's name has popped up a lot the last couple of days, right? Oh, boy. Like, I think that's the level of player that they're looking at right now. Um, that's tough. It, it is. I mean, Kent Bazemore is certainly available. I think they're clearly looking to see if they can swap DeAndre or Dwight for somebody that makes more sense to their roster. But this is this is the perils of building around superstars. They they can win you the title one year, but if an injury arises, if um, you know, if if a, if a fit doesn't work out the way it intended, when you stack your roster with 
three players who make over $30 million. It just dramatically decreases your flexibility to add to that core, to reshuffle that core, and to supplement the the actual real superstars on your team. It's just, I mean, we're seeing it in Milwaukee right now. Obviously, it worked out. They won the title last year. Not saying they're struggling right now, but in terms of, like, they need a big man. They need front court help with, you know, Brooke Lopez not being a guaranteed factor into the into the season at all right now. And the Bucks are just limited in opportunities to get better. We saw them last year make a pretty brilliant trade, I think, to get P.J. Tucker with just changing those pick protections and stuff like that. Like, now they're in, now they're in the situation of, of talking about uh, Dante DiVincenzo, you know, going out the door, which is someone that a couple weeks ago, you know, his people, the Bucks, were definitely talking about wanting to come to a contract agreement in this offseason. And now it seems like all sides are kind of motivated to get a deal done because of the roster crunch and how expensive those multi, you know, those three all-star teams get. So the Lakers are in a similar boat and they're not on the level of the Bucks right now, like LeBron said in his press conference last night. So they are certainly hamstrung, and uh, I am fascinated to see how they're going to try to dig out of this hole. You mentioned the LeBron's press conference. Russ was asked about getting booed, and he get, got into an answer about like how he's able to use his platform to help people around the world. And then a reporter followed up saying, "Well, I'm talking about the basketball side." And he goes, then he goes into a long answer about his family and how basketball is and everything in life. I just feel like he's avoiding the issue at hand here. Like it's, it's kind of sad to watch. It really is sad to watch. Like I've never been the biggest Russ fan, but like he's authored some great, outstanding, memorable moments throughout his career when he was in OKC, and he wasn't bad like as recently as Houston. It's, I, I just think they have to do something dramatic. Something Wall and Gordon to me are the targets. It's very different, but it's it's giving me shades of the end of Allen Iverson's career because Russ won an MVP. He was never considered really remotely a top five, ten player in the league, though, um, in terms of like two way overall talent. Like, but he was the league's best show for a long time. Very similar to AI. Like, it's it, Iverson's decline at the end with the whole Memphis and. Detroit stuff was was way more unfortunate, and there was obviously a lot more off-court stuff in the fold, but the way people talk in the NBA about Russell Westbrook as just being these, this damaged goods, you know, I, I've pitched I, I've pitched to Knicks people, you know, why not do the Evan Fournier for Julius Randle for Russ stuff, and you get off your long-term salary and clear your books for 2023 free agency, and like everyone I've talked to with the Knicks has had zero interest in even entertaining the idea of doing that. And good, idea. My, <laughs> good, good idea. Good idea to not want to do that if I'm the Knicks, in my opinion. I would not want to. <laughs> but even just for like, even just for like a, a 12 month gamut of, you know, getting him now to clear the salary uh, for that big free agency period in 23. And maybe he has like a fun electric garden year that gets some yeah. bogus all star starting nod, <laughs> like, like, like Andrew Wiggins and Golden State. Like, I could, I could see that being something at least. Like, I live in New York. I could see that being something all these New York Knicks fans would be at least entertained by and whatever. I mean, this is a current, you know, cluster, you know, whatever with with what what, what the Knicks have right now. But even that, like, even the Knicks where they're at, they don't want to touch Russell Westbrook, from what I've heard. So, it it is sad to see how this dynamic has unfolded. I mean. His, I don't know Russell Westbrook personally. The one time him and I talk on the phone for a 
big Kendrick Perkins story I wrote back at SI. He was very nice to me. So um, at least he has that ability in him. And it's like sad that this is where things are at. So I was texting with one of my friends in the league earlier uh, earlier today because we were talking about there was all these rumblings. Windhorse alluded to it uh, this morning, but there's a lot of talk yesterday about like four-way, five-way iterations between the Sixers and the Nets, them trying to loop in OKC, as we talked about earlier, to, to move off Tobias Harris. And he's and he brought up, you know, this is not anything source. It was just an idea, but I thought it was a smart idea, so I want to pass it along. He said, well, why not like a four-way or five-way involving all of these teams, Nets, Sixers, Lakers, Thunder, maybe even the Rockets. And the Thunder can land Russell Westbrook in this case, and the Lakers can get Tobias Harris, and maybe like a Derek Favors in this deal, Eric Gordon and Ben Simmons land with the Nets, Harden lands with the Sixers. And I'm like, whoa! That actually makes some sense on paper. It kind of does, doesn't it? Right? Does that make a little sense, Jake? It makes sense. It makes sense. It I'll give you that. that I'll give you that. That's a smart <laughs> idea. It's <laughs> a smart it idea. It is a smart idea. It is a smart idea. I mean, to pull something like that off here in the next 26 hours would be pretty impressive. That would, that would take a lot of cap gymnastics and a lot of egos put aside. What if they've been talking about it for three weeks already and they're just very, very quiet about it, Jake? Is that possible? I it'd be hard to keep in, in today's day and age, it'd be hard to keep a five team blockbuster under oh, yeah. wraps like that. I mean the, <laughs> very the Halliburton tough. the Halliburton Pacers deal, I, I it's already been reported left and right. Like, no one, no one in the league saw that coming. I mean, the Kings were definitely calling around and seeing what De'Aaron Fox's value was, and then that deal took I mean, a lot of people by surprise, like that happened between two small, uh, small, small market franchises that are kind of run, you know, pretty directly from the ownership and the top people like that type of deal can happen in silence. A five team blockbuster with James Harden <laughs> and Ben Simmons and the Lakers. And that, that, that would be pretty difficult to, uh, to, to happen without, you know, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a tree falling in a forest metaphor off the top of my head, but it's just, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 no, it would, it would definitely be loud. It would be loud if something like that were to happen. But I, I think it's a great idea, so I just wanted to toss it out there into the, the podcast universe. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. USAA is insurance that could lead the league in assist. That's because bundling auto with home or renter's insurance saves you money. USAA understands the needs of our military, veterans, and their eligible family members, and they've got great rates and insurance options to meet them. See how much you can save. Tap the banner to learn more and get a quote at usaa.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. 
couple quick things before we go, Jake. Um, with the Boston Celtics, I keep hearing they're willing to do whatever it takes to get under the luxury tax. Uh, what are we hearing about Boston? I think their top goal would be to find a third guy for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but I just don't think that guy is out there right now, just like that guy's not out there for Philly to trade Ben Simmons for. So in that sense, like their top goal is definitely to get under the tax for sure, from my understanding. Um, there's been a lot of Dennis Schroeder conversations. They've, they've, I mean, Brad Stevens, I think, from everything I've heard, is is kind of operating very with a very small, like, nucleus, just like I was mentioning, you know, what the Pacers and Kings thing could happen in silence when it's just a couple of people involved. Like, I don't, I think he is on the phone. I think it is Brad, like, kind of doing this um, as almost like a solo effort, if you will. Like, he obviously has staffers that he said that are being, you know, supportive, but it sounds like they have really been proactive in pitching Josh Richardson and pitching Dennis Schroeder and pitching Marcus Smart and seeing, you know, like I reported, they talked to Atlanta about um, Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish before Reddish went to the Knicks. Like, I think they have tried to see if they can turn Marcus into two pieces that can help them like Malik Beasley and then something in Minnesota, for example. Um, So they've got a number of options on the table, but I do agree that no matter what happens, I would expect them to be, under the tax line as of tomorrow at 3.01 p.m. The other team I wanted to ask you about is Atlanta. Uh, They've been involved in a lot of different discussions. You mentioned C.J. McCollum earlier. They are looking for another guard. I heard Goran Dragic could be like one guy maybe to target uh, for Atlanta. Is Is there anybody else that you think the Hawks could be in on ahead of the deadline? I think they've been looking to upgrade. I mean, DeLon Wright is a, is a good pro, but I think they're looking to upgrade on that on him and that that backup Trey Young position, and hoping they could find someone who could also play next to Trey Young in certain scenarios. Um, you know how viable a CJ Trey Young backcourt would have been defensively would have been. Oh boy, interesting. <laughs> but um, I mean, they were definitely involved there. Um, I think the Drogic. That framework is really possible. Um, the Neil Gallinari for Drogic swap would seem to make a lot of sense for both sides, and there's that connection between Masai and uh, Gallo from their Denver days. I mean, the Raptors seem to be more set on trying to find a big man, um, but, I mean, the Gallo-Drogic swap would seem to alleviate the Hawks' issues of still trying to trim down their logjam at the wing. Um, I mean, even if they trade Gallo, right, they'd still have DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter um, and uh, Bogdanovich to, to, to plug up a lot of big minutes there. Um, you can never have too many two-way wings in this league right now, um, but at a certain point, like, also the rotation gets crunched. So changing one of those guys for a backup guard like Dragic, I think, would be pretty interesting, and it would also take Dragic probably off the buyout market, which is a piece that a lot of teams, especially the uh, the Mavericks, of course, or I'm sure the Lakers would love to get a piece of Dragic, too. Um, if he gets moved to Dallas, Atlanta, right? Like, like if he if he does hit the buyout market, he's going to Dallas, right? Like, uh, it seems like a given. It seems like a given, yeah. And he said that publicly, you know, that he wanted to go there. <laughs> but if he goes to Atlanta, you know, then that takes a big buyout piece off the board. So that would be pretty interesting in that ripple effect as well. Are there any other buyout pieces to keep in mind here? Paul Millsap, for sure. I don't think the Nets are going to find a, a candidate to trade for him. Thad Young could get dealt. Definitely, but if he's not, I, I mean, I, I know he wants a buyout. I heard Phoenix likes Thad Young, but like that's they one do. team. That's one team I to like keep that. an eye I like on. If, fit. Yeah, Minnesota as well. Um, I think the Jazz would be curious about him on the buyout market. Um, Tristan Thompson's names come up a bunch. 
Eric Bledsoe, depending on where he ends up. I think he's still obviously a trade candidate uh, to leave Portland. Gary Harris was an interesting name that's been mentioned to me by several people. Um, uh, he's played pretty well in Orlando. I would think that there'd be an opportunity for him to go back. But if he hits the buyout market, that could be obviously a significant piece to help. Um, but then again, you know, overall, executives and agents remind me all the time that the buyout market doesn't traditionally give teams a real championship-changing piece. But these guys can certainly help in, in, in the right situation. No doubt about it. And I think with this deadline, we maybe we don't get fireworks. Maybe we don't get a big Harden-Simmons deal. Maybe we don't get a Russell Westbrook blockbuster. We could. We could get all of it. We could get it all together in one big deal. Um, but I think at the least we're going to get a lot of the movement where it is those pieces around the edges where championship contenders, teams trying to get into the playoffs, are just trying to tweak what they are and maximize what they are. And I think we'll get some interesting deals in that sense. Um, uh, do, do you like just lastly here, do you have any thoughts like or feelings of like how active tomorrow will actually be on deadline day? You know, the big pieces have fallen, right? The, this Nikhil Alexander Walker deal has kind of been the first of the, you know, the jazz want wing help those types of marginal, not to throw shade at Nikhil Alexander Walker, but those types of deals, the, the Thad Youngs of the world, can someone actually go and get Terrence Ross from the Magic? Not that that's hard to do, but will there be a deal made there? The Sixers looking for, you know, ball handling and rebounding help. The Bulls wanting a big, the Hornets wanting a big, the Raptors center market. Like, can the Rockets even move Daniel Tice or something like that? That that market is still completely untouched yet, which makes sense. I mean, these teams are focusing on the big names for now, but there's still probably, you know, seven or eight of those types of deals that haven't been made yet that I think are assuredly going to. And, you know, those Boston salary type moves and other teams trying to duck the tax Indy potentially looking to move Ricky Rubio's contract, like those types of things still very much on the table. So there's a lot of room for activity still to be had. How much sleep are you going to get tonight? I'm going to try to go to bed around 1 a.m. Eastern time. It's kind of been my bedtime this week. Yeah. What about you? Is that when things get quiet? No, I mean, remember the Tobias Harris trade went down at like 2 a.m. that Wednesday before the deadline, (laughs) whatever year that was. So keep your phone ring on. You 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 keep it on at night during trade deadline week or month even. No, I mean, I value your sleep. Then you you need yeah you need your sleep. Listen, man, I'm a writer, right? I don't get paid to tweet, and unfortunately, the way the information economy has developed over the years, not a lot of opportunity to put out a tweet that says what's happening, right? There's a way to collect information and forecast what is likely going to happen based off of those conversations. That's what I do. So the stories are out. We can talk about this, some, some stuff with you in the podcast. And then like, I just go to bed, man. Like it's not, it's not worth staying <laughs> up till 3am for a deal that might happen. And I'm probably not going to get a break first anyway. So. I mean, you've you've done great work, Jake. I I really enjoyed your work this past year, and I, I think thank you, man. Like, kind of the lane you do have is interesting because, like, you report on a lot of the stuff that NBA people are talking about, and I think fans deserve to talk about that too. Um, so I, I've I've enjoyed it, and especially like you've been on top of the Harden stuff. Like, I think you were the one of the first people to really have this story as a potential possibility before everybody took it super, super seriously like we do this week. Um, I'm glad you get your sleep, though. Sleep is important. I heavily value my sleep, too, man. I I can't operate under six hours. I'm definitely not sleeping enough. I mean, the the 7 a.m. published time uh, is typically one that I 
don't wake up for, but Monday and Tuesday we got it out there because like the CJ McCollum deal, I I, I really thought it was going to happen Tuesday morning. So I was like, we got to get this up at 7 a.m. before it happens. <laughs> and then it happened at like 10.30. So it's been, I'm very much looking forward to Friday and uh, sleeping on Saturday. Do you yeah. drink coffee? I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee either. I'm not a caffeine guy. My, I grew up uh, in a lot of like AU tournaments on a Saturday morning. You know, my parents would have to stop at Dunkin' first thing. And uh, I, I enjoy dabbling in substances, let's say. But I saw at the time that like <laughs> that ca- caffeine. That ca- caffeine was an addiction that these people have to go spend $7 at a time to get multiple times a day. That seems <laughs> insane to me. So I do not drink coffee. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have not started yet. Maybe someday if I have kids, I'll have no choice. Uh, but in, until I feel like I have no choice, I'm not going to drink caffeine. I, I operate great drinking a ton of water. I'm a, thank you, Jake. I'm happy to meet somebody who also does drink coffee here. I actually, I remember this very, I was it was in Boston back when you and I were both living there. I got lunch with a Sixers coach after a shoot around one day and I was still in school. I was like, I think I was 20 years old and we we waste a bet that by the time I was 25 that I'd be drinking coffee, and um, <laughs> if he's listening, this guy knows who he is. He still owes me a steak dinner for not drinking oh. coffee at this point in time. I'm gonna start making that bet with people. Yeah, because I think I'll win it. I want more steak dinners, Jake. Uh, it was very great talking to you about deadline week, deadline day, in 24 hours ish. Depending on when you listen to this, uh, I'm I'm fired up. Are you excited, Jake? Are you excited? I'm excited for it to be over. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, man. I hope you have a great rest. Uh, we're recording this noontime, 24 hours from now. West Coast time is the deadline. Jake, I look forward to reading your stuff, man. Thanks, man. Take care. You can find Jake Fisher's work on Twitter at Jake L. Fisher. He writes for Bleacher Report. He also published a book last year called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Uh, Jake does great work. I'm looking forward to seeing what goes down these next 24 hours. One deal did happen as we were wrapping up the podcast. The Miami Heat acquired a 2026 second-round pick from OKC for Casey Pala. Big time deal here, man. Like we get to record an emergency podcast coming right up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we will have more pods on the Ringer NBA show feed and possibly even the mismatch feed, depending on what goes down. I'll be on with Bill Simmons and a bunch of other Ringer staffers on Thursday on deadline day. I'm fired up about that. That'll be a good time. I'm hoping you enjoyed this show. I'm hoping you enjoy all the pods we have to come. Please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. And a big thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing it. And a big thank you to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Trade Deadline Day. I'm fired up. I'm excited. Let's go, baby. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.